So it's Sugar Awareness Week, and I thought I would do a podcast on sugar awareness because it's a critical aspect to metabolism. I always say awareness is the first step in all change, so it's really important. But you might be wondering, uh, Sarah, so why is ignorance bliss then? It's bliss because if we know better, we have to do better, right? If we don't know better, if we stay ignorant, we don't have to take responsibility or action. Change is hard. We like our routines. We like the status quo. When we stay in ignorance, it means we don't need to change. But the thing is, is if our ignorance causes us major health issues, it's not exactly bliss, is it? The thing about change is all effective change requires three keys, the what, the why, and the how. The what is the awareness and the information, the awareness of what needs to change, and the, inf- the good information we need in order to do it. So there's a lot of bad information out there, a lot of misinformation. And so right then and there, I feel like a lot of times that's one of the reasons why we don't, we, we're afraid to try change because we're, we're led astray. The why is this powerful reason you want this change. We're going to need that fire in our belly. If you don't have it, when the going gets tough, we give up. And believe me, the going's going to get tough, right? The how is putting it into action. It's the habits. It's making changes in our lives. This is that magic, the secret sauce. This is when you get to do something about it. And that's the cure to that feeling of guilt that you have if you have awareness without the why and the how. So in each of my podcasts and in every program I've ever done, I always try and hit on each of the three keys to change. In today's podcast, I'm going to cover 20 reasons to break up with sugar, the sneaky places sugar's hiding and how much sugar's too much, and then give you some tips for dealing with sugar cravings. Welcome to the Perfect Metabolism Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Vance. I'm a nutritionist, yoga instructor, and author of the book, The Perfect Metabolism Plan. I've been focused on metabolism optimization for over a decade, and I'm here to tell you that contrary to popular opinion, it doesn't have to be all downhill after we hit 40. This podcast is general in nature, not medical advice, and for information purposes only. Talk to your doctor if you have questions about how this information applies to you. Sugar. Ah, sugar. Sweet, sweet sugar. We love it because it's delicious. It's sweet. It makes us happy. It literally turns on the happiness chemicals in our brain, and it gives us that little burst of energy when we need it. We celebrate it with it. We reward ourselves with it. And it's there for us whenever we need it, right? Sad at 2 a.m.? Sugar's there. Need that afternoon boost? Oh, grab a little something sweet. Well, sounds like everything we could want in a relationship, right? It's no wonder we love sugar so. But everything is not all sweet when it comes to sugar. First, listen, if you're struggling with a sugar addiction, just know you're not alone. Most people are, and I lived most of my life as a bonafide sugar junkie for years. I was totally out of control around sweets when I was a kid. I can remember Christmas at my Grammy's house. She made this delicious fudge. My siblings could have a one or two and be done with it. They'd be off doing something else, but I couldn't stop. I was out of control. I would have a dozen, and then I'd move on to the cream-filled chocolates, That unhealthy relationship continued on for decades. 
I thought I was being healthier eating TCBY yogurt with candy stirred into it. That's silly, silly silliness, isn't it? I needed DQ blizzards when I was pregnant, and I drank 40-ounce diet sodas when I was in college. But thankfully, decades later, I finally kicked my sugar addiction. It was about 15 years ago, and it was the best thing I ever did. I think that's one reason why I'm so passionate about helping others do it, because I know how much better life is when we aren't a slave to our sugar addiction. When you break up with sugar, you also change your taste buds. So super sweet things are no longer appealing anymore, and 70% dark chocolate tastes delicious and sweet. For years, sugar has been hidden behind this harmless empty calorie myth. I used to believe it. And, well, one part of it is true. Sugar is definitely empty calories. But the part that's a lie is that sugar is harmless. Friends, it's a big, fat lie. Sugar's sneaky. Listen, it's sneaking into over 75% of all packaged and processed foods. It's sneaking into our diet so much so that most of us have no idea how much sugar we are actually getting every day. And manufacturers put it in there because they know we love it. We love the taste. It's addictive. So if they want people to buy their product over and over, they will add sugar. Studies have found sugar to be more addictive than cocaine. So it's not easy to take back control. Have you heard the phrase, the dose makes the poison? Sugar is not a poison itself, but the amount we're consuming is poisonous to our bodies and our metabolism. It's no wonder obesity and the related diseases have skyrocketed over the last century. Did you know 100 years ago, American consumed about 45 grams of sugar over a five-day period? That's about 11 teaspoons or roughly a little over two teaspoons a day. 11 teaspoons they consumed over a five-day period is what we get when we drink one can of soda or drink a tall mocha latte. Data from the Diabetes Council says that the average American now consumes 126 grams of sugar a day. A hundred years ago, it was 45 grams over a five-day period. Now we're consuming 126 grams of sugar a day. That adds up to 630 grams in a five-day period. That's about 157 teaspoons of sugar in five days, or 31 teaspoons a day. We've gone from two teaspoons a day, roughly, to 31. I have an interesting story about my book, The Perfect Metabolism Plan. Um, I put chapter the chapter Break Up With Sugar as the first chapter because it truly is impossible to optimize the metabolism without fixing our blood sugar. It's the number one reason for our metabolic issues, and it's the number one reason why so many people are jumping to these GLP-1 agonist drugs, because it's preventing people from being so addicted to sugar. And I'm definitely going to be touching on those um, in an upcoming episode, so please stay tuned for that one. But a funny story about my chapter one in Perfect Metabolism Plan. When I turned my manuscript into my publisher, they kind of glanced everything and they're like, oh, this looks great. You know, everything seemed to be in order. Thanks for getting this in. But then when they saw the first chapter was Break Up With Sugar, they said, you know, what if we just moved that back to the back of the book? 
You see, publishers want to sell books, right? They know people love sugar. They know most people don't want to break up with it. But I convinced them to keep it there because it really is the number one reason for metabolic dysfunction. We're not going to fix our metabolism without fixing that. Maybe we should have buried it later in the book and sold more books, but I'm glad that we kept it as number one because it really is foundational. And when you do that, you can, I mean, if you can break up a sure, you can do almost anything. And it is possible. I promise you I've helped many people do it. So let's look at how sugar is impacting us, the different ways our love affair with sugar is affecting our health and metabolism. So the first one's obvious. It causes midsection fat accumulation. As I said in episode one, when we want to lose weight, what we really mean is we want to lose fat. When we're eating a high dose of sugar day in and day out, our metabolism is in what I call sugar-burning mode, which means it's running on sugars and it's storing the extra as fat. In fact, it's very resistant to burning our stored fats. It'll actually break down muscle instead of, break, instead of breaking down stored fat before it goes after the fat. When the metabolism is running in sugar-burning mode, it's not burning fat, it's storing it, and it gets really good at storing fat. This is referred to often as insulin resistance and leads to stubborn weight gain, especially in the midsection, and a whole laundry list of other issues. Number two, sugar makes us hungry. Sweet foods and drinks stimulate our sweet tooth. So the more sweets we eat, and this is including artificial sweetened foods and drinks, the more we want. So eating lots of sugar and simple carbs just makes us hungrier. And as I mentioned before, it also makes our taste buds less sensitive to sweet, so we need more and more and more to satisfy us. Number three, it lowers our immunity. A 1973 study out of Loma Linda University found that consuming a glucose solution lowered the effectiveness of white blood cells to fight infection. A study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition found that 75 grams of sugar lowered the immune system for five hours. So eating sugar and simple carbs all the time means our immune system is running on low. So question is, is the cold and flu season really about viruses or is it that her immune system is down from less vitamin D and more sugar starting in Halloween and through Christmas cookies? Number four, mood imbalances. Like any other addictive drug, and yes, sugar should be classified like that, the sugar roller coaster has a powerful effect, powerful effect on our mood and our brain chemistry. When our blood sugar is high, it gives us energy, makes us feel happy, gives us that boost. But when it drops, it can make us feel tired, sad, and low. So we reach for more of what gave us that boost. That puts us on that sugar roller coaster ride, and that affects our mood, makes it very unstable. Over time, these sugar highs and lows can lead to more serious mood disorders, <clears throat> including anxiety and depression. It also causes an imbalance in our healthy gut bacteria which is tied to anxiety and other issues. Number five, low energy fatigue. Sugar and simple cars, carbs doesn't supply lasting energy. It spikes our blood sugar, and then that's followed by a crash. When we crash, we're going to be looking for another energy boost, and we're going to be hungry, or as some people say, hangry, right? We get angry and hungry at the same time. So, of course, when we have that crash, we're tired, we have low energy. That, again, it's that sugar roller coaster cycle. 
And that fatigue can be crushing. A lot of people told me when they were part of my Break Up a Sugar program, they no longer needed that afternoon nap. They had no idea that it was connected to their blood sugar. Number six, inflammation. Inflammation is the hallmark of most chronic diseases, the, system, the systemic and chronic kind of inflammation. And a, high, a diet high in sugars feeds that type of inflammation. And this can raise our risk of many diseases. It's linked to pain and um, all kinds of things. Number seven, digestion issues. Sugar feeds yeast and fungus, so diets high in sugar can sometimes lead to chronic overgrowth of yeast, bacteria, or fungus. Other issues in the gut, including bacterial overgrowth, dysbiosis, and leaky gut can also be linked to excess sugar intake. Number eight, tooth decay, cavities. One of the most obvious things we're taught from a very young age about sugar is that it can rot our teeth, right? The dentist warms, warns kids about it around Halloween time, but Halloween is not the only time of year we need to be aware of it. The average person gets at least three times, at least three times the added sugars every single day. Number nine, diabetes, or as Dr. Mark Hyman calls it, diabesity. When we spike our blood sugar over and over, our body eventually becomes less effective at being able to process sugars. This is called insulin resistance. The tricky thing is it often has no obvious symptoms, which is why people often have no idea about it until they become diagnosable or have diabetes. Insulin resistance progresses to prediabetes if it's not addressed and eventually can turn into diabetes. Poorly managed diabetes can lead to serious health issues like nerve pain damage, um, kidney failure, loss of limbs, blindness. But even blood sugar levels considered on the high side of normal, if they're left unchecked for decades, can also contribute to some of these issues, especially things like nerve damage. Do you remember that type 2 diabetes used to be called adult onset until just a few years ago? They had to rename it because it wasn't just adults affected. Sugar is harming the health and the majority of kids today as well. Number 10, heart disease, stroke, metabolic syndrome. So according to Dr. Chris Kresser, metabolic syndrome could more simply be called excess carbohydrate disease. In fact, some research have gone as far as defining metabolic syndrome as those physiological markers that respond to reduction in dietary carbohydrate. Wow. The American Heart Association published a statement in circulation that excess sugar consumption increases our risk of heart attack and stroke. Hmm, that's weird, because haven't we really been pointing the finger at saturated fat and cholesterol all, this, all these years, not sugar? Yeah, there's, there's some sneaky stuff that the sugar industry has done to change, quote-unquote, the science on that. So really knowing that one of the best things you can do for your risk of heart disease stroke is to cut down on your sugar significantly. Because having impaired blood glucose tolerance was found to increase the risk of stroke by 50%. Even a fasting glucose over 85 mg per DL, this is considered a lab normal level, was associated with an increased risk of heart cardiac mortality. I mean, there are people that have, you know, a fasting glucose of 97 for a decade and that they're considered normal. And it really is affecting their cardiac health. 
The worst offender, though, for, for heart health and stroke risk, sodas. Studies have shown that men who drink one soda a day increase their heart disease and stroke risk factors by 20%. And before you pick up a diet soda, realize that drinking diet sodas are linked to a 44% increased risk of heart disease. So they're actually worse. It's just crazy. Number 11. So yeah, we're, we're getting into this. These, these are the more serious side effects. Number 11 is cancer. So when we're talking about sugar, the good, the bad, and the ugly, well, we're getting into the deadly. 90 years ago, Nobel laureate Dr. Otto Warburg discovered that sugar fuels cancer cells. Since then, various studies have demonstrated a potent link between sugar and cancer, including that malignant cells die when starved of glucose. Sugar molecules are present in high numbers near cancer cells. In fact, that's one way to test for cancer, right? You take a radioactive glucose solution and using a PET scan, they can see that the areas that are cancerous take up more of the solution than the non-cancerous areas. A 2013 University of Copenhagen study found that sugar was not just present in cancer cells, but that it aided the growth of malignant cells. Hmm. Researchers out of the University of Warburg in Germany concluded that significantly reducing the intake of dietary carbs could suppress or at least delay the emergence of cancer and the proliferation of existing tumor cells could be slowed down. According to the study, many cancer patients exhibit an altered glucose metabolism characterized by insulin resistance and may profit from an increased protein and fat intake. Hmm. So there's currently promising research underway at the Salk Institute in La Jolla, led by Dr. Ruben Shaw, PhD, to study the link between diabetes, sugar metabolism, and cancer. So if hopefully we're starting to really get that why, that fire going in the belly, right? Number 12 is kidney disease. A recent study found that drinking sodas caused caused an elevated levels of protein in our urine, which can be an indicator of kidney problems. According to a researcher within the study, there's no safe amount of soda. If you look at the recommended amounts of sugar, we can now safely consume one can of soda exceeds that maximum level. So this kind of is one example that shoots a big hole in that age-old adage, quote-unquote, everything in moderation. Remember my story with the fudge? I, I wasn't able to moderate it, right? Number 13, fatty liver. This is a big one, guys. Research is re revealing diets high in sugar, especially fructose, like high fructose corn syrup, very much so strains the liver. And it's contributing to the development of something called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, or NAFLD. The American Liver Foundation estimates that Roughly one quarter to one third of Americans have this condition, but there are very often no symptoms. That means these estimates could be low. Our liver only has a limited capacity to handle fructose and sugar, and if we overwhelm them, they will accumulate excess fat. It's normal for our livers to have a little bit of fat. That's normal. It's when it becomes overwhelming. Dr. Hyman refers to fatty liver being like foie gras. We're foie grasing our livers. They're very loaded and heavy with fat. Perhaps the most disturbing part of this is that an estimated 1 in 10 kids now has this non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and 40% of obese kids have it. The thing about our livers is it's one of the most resilient organs in the body. If you 
if you have a healthy liver and you, you can literally donate a portion of your liver to someone else because the liver will regenerate our, itself. It's that resilient. The problem with the liver is we have to catch these things early and do something about it because there is a point of no return when the liver, when that damage becomes cirrhosis. So it's, you know, a couple things you can do to check on your liver is to check on your liver enzymes. If you have elevated enzymes, it could be, you know, from something like you had just had a recent infection or something like that. But the only way to really know if you have fatty liver disease is to have that ultrasound done on your fatty liver. So definitely talk to your doctor. Look at your blood work over the years and see if you've had some elevated liver enzymes. Number 14 is osteoporosis. Scientific studies reveal that elevated blood sugar and oxidative stress are contributing to the development of osteoporosis or weakened bones. Byproducts of high blood sugar were shown to impair bone mineralization and activate a receptor that diverts calcium from the bone into the smooth muscle cells. This can also contribute to hardening of the arteries or heart disease, having that calcifications go in places where it's not supposed to be, like the arteries, kidneys, breast. Number 15, hormone issues. A study conducted out of the University of British Columbia found that diets high in sugars, especially fructose again, could interrupt our sex hormones leading to fertility issues, polycystic ovary syndrome, and endometriosis. One reason sugar can interrupt hormone balance is in part the strain that's put on the liver to metabolize that fructose. The liver is very important for detoxifying hormones. So when the liver is not working at its best, that process is going to be compromised. Another way that sugar affects hormones is through aromatization. Guys, this is an important one. Listen up. Aromatization is when our testosterone is converted to estrogen. Diets high in sugar and simple cars cause aromatization, leading to estrogen dominance conditions in both women and men. This is a very, very big factor that I don't think is being talked about enough. I'm going to be doing an, a future episode just for the guys, um, and we're going to talk more about protecting our T levels and all of that. But that's just one really important thing. Number 16, accelerated aging. Oh boy, is this one I wish I'd known decades ago. High sugar diets damage the collagen and elastin in our skin and they cause our skin to sag and look more wrinkled. When there's sugar in our bloodstream, they attach to proteins to form molecules that are called advanced glycation end products. Appropriately, the acronym is AGES, A-G-E-S, because they age us. The more sugar you eat, the more of these ages develop. They're known to damage the collagen and elastin proteins in the skin, and that's what gives the skin its elasticity and volume and helps to prevent wrinkles. Sugar affects our skin in three ways. When the ages come into contact with collagen, it changes the normal elastic and fluffy collagen and makes it kind of brittle and dry. And that's what leads to sagging and wrinkling of the skin. There are three types of collagen, one, two, and three. The strongest and most resilient type is three. Sugar changes type three collagen into type one, which is more unstable. Sugar also interferes with the delivery of antioxidants in the body so it can leave skin more vulnerable to damage from the sun. The good news is although some of the wrinkles are here to stay, some of this damage is done, a little bit of the damage caused by sugar can be reversed when you give sugar the old heave-ho. I experienced this myself personally. I gave up sugar, or you know, when I say gave up, it doesn't mean that I don't have sugar, but I, 
I took back control of my relationship with sugar and would have maybe noticed, but I noticed. And that was really good for me heading into my 40th birthday. Moving on, number 17, brain fog, poor memory, and even Alzheimer's disease. Insulin resistance can lead to lower levels of insulin in the brain, which over time can contribute to many memory problems, dementia, brain fog, and even Alzheimer's, or what a lot of people are referring to it now as type 3 diabetes. According to Dr. David Perlmutter, he's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Grain Brain, sugar, carbs, and wheat are the brain's silent killers. A recent study out of UCLA indicates that added sugars affect memory and brain function. High sugar diets seem to be linked to poor learning, memory, and recall. But there is mounting evidence that it also is linked to more serious brain conditions like Alzheimer's. According to a study published in August 2013 in the New England Journal of Medicine, even subtle elevations of fasting blood sugar translates to dramatically increased risk of dementia. As I said, research many researchers are referring to certain types of Alzheimer's disease as type 3 diabetes because they're finding plaques in the brain that look very much like diabetic plaques. If you're concerned about your brain health and preventing Alzheimer's, I highly recommend a book called The End of Alzheimer's. It was written by neurologist Dr. Dale Bredesen, B-R-E-D-E-S-E-N. Definitely give him a follow on Instagram. I call him the Michael Jordan of brain health because he is doing what no clinical pharmaceutical trial can do. He is halting and in some cases, early cases, even reversing some symptoms of brain degeneration. He puts all of his patients, all of them, on what he calls the keto flex diet. Keto is a very, very low carb, no sugar. And his flex part is, in unlike most keto diets, he makes sure that they get a plen- plethora of um, antioxidant-rich um, non-starchy vegetables. And then, you know, obviously keto is a very high-fat diet. The brain is 60% fat, so what is that low-fat trend due to our brains over all these years? It hasn't been good for our metabolism or our brains. Number 18, sleep issues. Do you fall asleep fine but wake up at night? Poor blood sugar regulation could be to blame. It can cause your blood sugar to dip in the middle of the night. This can cause you to wake up. Some people might even feel shaky and will need to go get something to eat to stabilize their blood sugar in the middle of the night. Some people with more advanced blood sugar dysregulation might find that they need to get up and go to the bathroom several times at night. This sometimes can be a signal that the kidneys are working overtime due to the elevated blood sugar levels. Number 19, thyroid. According to thyroid expert Dr. Isabella Wentz, poor blood sugar regulation can cause thyroid antibodies to spike and can also weaken our adrenal glands. And these work in conjunction with the thyroid. She says researchers from Poland have found that up to 50% of Hashimoto's sufferers, this is the autoimmune thyroid issue, have impaired carbohydrate metabolism. And according to Chris, Dr. Chris Kresser, studies have shown that repeated insulin surges common in insulin resistance increase the destruction of the thyroid gland in people with autoimmune thyroid disease. As the thyroid gland is destroyed, thyroid hormone production falls. So 
It's really especially important for people who have thyroid issues to eat for blood sugar stability. I talk about this in episode one of um, my podcast. So if you haven't given that one a listen, definitely go back and listen to it. There's a lot of actionable tips in that one as well. And finally, neurological issues is number 20. If you get tingling feelings and numbness, pain, or burning feelings in your feet and your extremities, this can be a sign of chronically elevated blood sugar levels. According to pain management specialist Robert Bolash, MD, high blood sugar is toxic to our nerves. When a nerve is damaged, you might initially feel tingling, pins and needles, burning or sharp stabbing pain, and eventually it can go into numbness. Neuropathy can only not only lead to debilitating, debilita- debilitating pain, it can also cause dangerous infections. So if you're experiencing nerve pain, tingling, numbness, or burning, make sure you go get your your insulin, your blood sugar, your A1C levels um, evaluated. And also look at your B12 and your B1 deficient um, to see if there's a deficiency there because both of those um, B vitamins can be linked to neuropathy. Um, and it's definitely something you don't want to put off because the longer it goes, the harder it is to treat it and reverse it. And finally, I know this is number 21, but a a study published in JAMA in 2014 linked sugar consumption to an increased risk of death of all causes in both normal weight and overweight individuals. And those whose diet was comprised of 17 to 20% added sugar had a 38% higher risk of dying from a coronary event. The risk was doubled for those who got more than 21% of their diets from sugars. So yeah, it's definitely not all sweet when it comes to sugar. Again, I went through this list, and I know it is pretty daunting. It's pretty overwhelming to hear all of the stuff that excess sugar can do to us. What I really want for for this to do for listeners who are struggling with sugar is to use this to light that fire in your belly to say, it's time. There's a reason why you're here. There's a reason why you found this podcast. The fact that you're here still listening about 30 minutes in tells me that there's a reason you're here and you're listening. So this, because of this going on about the next thing to think about is how much is too much? Because remember I said the dose makes the poison. Well, And that's really, really true. And because of this increased risk of heart disease from excess sugars, the American Heart Association, about I think it was a decade ago or so, came up with recommended limits for added sugar for women and men. They said that women should get no more than six teaspoons of added sugars a day. That's 24 grams. And men should get no more than nine added teaspoons of sugar a day. That's 36 grams. Remember, one can of soda has about 10 or 11, right? One grande Starbucks mocha frappuccino or latte has more than probably about 12. So we're definitely, you know, awareness is definitely that first step in making this change. The thing about these guidelines is in December of 2020, the federal government came out with new guidelines, dietary guidelines for Americans. And before this, they had put together a commission. They, they put together a scientific advisory committee that they commissioned. They wanted them to address added sugars, to make an adjustment to the current their guidelines that they had. 
And that scientific committee recommended that Americans cut their sugar consumption of added sugars from 10 to 6% of their daily calories, and then their, as well as their alcohol consumption to one drink maximum per day. But sadly, the federal government completely ignored the scientific committee that they um, put together and just didn't include those in the guidelines. So really, I do think they are good. And they're in line with the World Health Organization's guidelines, which are no more than uh, five teaspoons of added sugar a day. So that's even lower than the American Heart Association. So realize the type of sugar we eat also matters. Fruit sugar is naturally occurring sugar. And when it comes paired with fiber and antioxidants and minerals and vitamins, um, you know, that's better for you than straight sugar, like say from candy or a Slurpee, right? Uh, whole fruit is better than processed added sugars, which are the empty calories, whereas the sugar with fruit comes as nature intended with antioxidants, vitamins, fiber, and minerals. But at the same time, when we have some insulin resistance, we can overdo the natural sugars even as well. So just watch out for things like maple syrup, honey, dried fruit, definitely fruit juice. Always choose the whole fruit instead if you can, um, and such. Now, moving on into this whole idea of having tried and failed to give or give up sugar in the past. Believe me, I know you're not alone if you have had that experience, and I've been there as well. I know how hard it can be. Listen, when a child is learning to walk, how many times do you think they fall before they actually learn to walk? Hundreds, maybe thousands. They don't give up if they fall once or twice or three times. Nope. So if we fall off the wagon when we're trying to do something, just know we're not a failure. We shouldn't just go back to where we were before. We're learning. We're growing. We're getting better at it step by step. One thing I tell people if you fall off the wagon, instead of calling yourself a failure and saying you're awful and drowning your sorrows in cookies, think about how you feel. How did that sugar make you feel? How did it affect your mood? How did it affect your energy? All of that. So, uh, you know, I'll give you an example of this whole idea of resisting change because that feeling of awareness is a very difficult thing to sit with when we first have awareness before we start taking action. The first time I ever read, ran my Break Up a Sugar program, I had a participant that mostly joined out of curiosity. She really didn't think she was eating a lot of added sugar. She wasn't overweight. Um, but she was kind of just, something brought her there. And one of the first steps in the program is awareness, right? That's the first stage of all change, right? And what we do is we track our sugar intake so people can really know how much they're getting because most of us really don't know. They find out where it's coming from and then to get that baseline of what we're starting with. And by 4 o'clock on that first day of tracking, I got a panicked message from her. She said, Sarah, I've already eaten a cup of added sugar today and the day isn't over. A cup of sugar is 48 teaspoons or 192 grams of sugar. So yeah, it was a lot. But she was an endurance athlete, so she was burning a lot of calories. Her diet was comprised of a lot of those quick energy carbs and sugar hides and a lot of sports-related foods and drinks. But she was shocked and panicked. She had no idea she was getting that much sugar. 
And that feeling when we first become aware is it's difficult because we know we've suddenly realized what we've been doing to ourselves. So that's one reason we do prefer to stay ignorant. But the cure is to take action, to change. It's like a gift we give ourselves that we're, we're taking better care of ourselves. So when, once we're aware, connect in with those reasons why we want to make change and take that action. So, and believe me, trying to give up sugar un- unsuccessfully, it's so common. And partly that's because sugar is in everything and it's so addicting. So one thing I really want people to do is to connect in with that why. Any of those reasons that I listed are those things that are that really kind of jumped out at you. For me, it's the, you know, the skin aging, it's the anti-cancer effect, it's, it's um, you know, the energy and feeling my best and protecting my thyroid and all of those. Those are really important to me. And when we really connect in with those, that helps us to control our why. My why is that I was addicted to sugar most of my life, especially as a kid. I felt out of control. I was overweight when I was younger. I was made fun of for my weight. I had digestive issues, mood swings, brain fog, and sleep issues. I found my answers to so many of those problems at the end of my fork. And being on the other side of that sugar-addictive, out-of-control feeling is the best feeling ever. One of the things that holds us back from change, from doing things in life, is fear. Uh, Author Brendan Bruchard of Millionaire Messenger says that fear is just a way of protecting ourselves from pain. We avoid change because we don't want to feel three types of pain. First, the pain of loss. Anytime we change, we lose something, right? If we give up sugar, we're going to lose that comfort, that temporary, it's temporary comfort and temporary joy that it provides us. So the other is the pain of the process. It's hard. Doing something new is hard. Change is hard. Giving up certain foods can be hard. We can experience pain in the process of doing new things. Changing our diet means we have to find new recipes, shopping for new things. There might even be some physical pain if we're addicted to certain foods. And then the fear of the outcome. This is a big one. What do we do if it doesn't, if we fail, if it doesn't turn out the way we want? Or what if we end up worse as a result, the outcome? Especially for people who have tried and failed to give up sugar before, we really don't want to disappoint ourselves again. So why try, you know? I think we can flip all of those scripts because if we focus on the negative and live in fear, we can't move forward. When we focus on the negative, we stay there. We stay stagnant. Again, just the fact that here you are almost at the end of this episode, it's a huge sign that you're not going to let fear be in the driver's seat. So instead of letting fear drive us and following every what if with a negative thought, follow those what ifs with what we will gain. What if our lives, think about positive things that getting control of our sugar addiction would be. What if you could easily say no thank you to sweets? Or you no longer liked sickly sweet things. I mean, you couldn't pay me to eat a Dairy Queen Blizzard now. It would be so overly sickly sweet and I would feel so bad. I can so easily say no to that. What if you could lose the stubborn midsection weight? I experienced that. I used to be called chubby gut when I was a kid. I'm sure my waistline was bigger then than I am now in my mid-50s. What if you could lower your risk for literally almost every non-communicable disease, have more energy, better moods? 
when we flip that script, when we flip it to the positive what ifs, that's when we really start to see the possibility. And I always tell people, remember, a mistake is not a mistake if we learn from it, just like that kid learning to walk. Every time she falls and she gets up, she's learned something from that experience, that lesson. So if we fall off the wagon, instead of saying, oh, well, I can't do it, say, hmm, what can I learn from that? So what I'm doing right now for you guys is I'm working on putting that Breakup with Sugar course that I used to run into an ebook for you. And I'm super excited about some of the updates I will be adding. I'm going to be including a section on nature's Ozempic supplements and as well as some foods that help to mimic those effects of those GLP-1 agonist drugs that are all the rage right now, right? So if you're interested in knowing when that's available, click on the link in the show notes below to give me your email and I can notify you when it's available, hopefully in the next week or so. Um, you know, my Breakup with Sugar program, it works and it's helped many people permanently take back control from sugar. So now I also want to move into um, some things to leave you with, some tips you can use to improve your awareness about your sugar intake and help to control those sugar cravings. So the first thing we need to do, again, is become aware of how much added sugar is coming into our diet and how much you're getting. One th way to do that is become a label reader. As of 2020, food labels now have to include both the, they break down the total sugars and the added sugars. So for example, yogurt has natural sugars in it, and then it, they add sugars to it. So you want to pay attention to those added sugars and add those up. It's those added sugars that you want to strictly limit to those amounts of no more than five teaspoons or six teaspoons of added sugar a day. If you go out to eat, a most restaurants list their you know, ingredients and their sugar contents of their food online, and you can make an informed choice before you go to a restaurant to choose the lower sugar option. You'd be amazed at some of the things sugar's hiding in, like salad dressings. Um, if you go out for Asian cuisine, it's in so many of the sauces there. So really start to become an informed consumer and notice, you know, where sneaky foods, you know, what are the sneaky foods that have sugar? Become aware of those. Even foods we think are healthy, like yogurts, protein bars, granolas can have loads of added sugar. Other sneaky sources are, you know, dressing, salad dressings, sauces, especially barbecue sauce, uh, cereals. And then there's the obvious sources like sweet drinks. You know, we, we often forget to count those, right? The lemonades, the coffees, the sports drinks and teas. And that's really one of the biggest ways we're um, harming our liver and, and increasing the amount of sugar we're, we're, we're getting. Another tip is tracking your added sugar intake. Maybe just do it for a few days or a week and just become aware and see how easily it's adding up. I've got a download for you in the show notes. It's... Uh, to help track your sugar intake. And it also helps you to connect your, your mood and your energy as well with how much sugar you're getting. So a couple little things to swap out if you are you know, wanting something sweet in your life. One of the things I recommend for people is instead of reaching for dessert or something sickly sweet, replace that with a square or two of dark chocolate. Make sure it's 70% or more. And if you hate dark chocolate, that's very common I find in people who have sugar addiction, they don't like dark chocolate, it's not sweet enough for them. Then slowly work your way up to 70% dark. Start with like a 50% dark. 
and then move to a 60% and then go 70. And they even have higher cacao content. So the higher the cacao content, the lower the sugar content. So just know that the higher the cacao, you're getting more of the benefits of the cacao. Um, raw cacao is very healthy. It um, thins our blood. It improves our blood flow to our extremities and our brain. It actually, a couple squares of chocolate a day lowers our risk of heart attack and stroke significantly. So there are health benefits to it. And I feel like sometimes it's just that little sweetness you need. Um, and then if you are someone that likes to add sugar to things like coffee and tea, consider gradually, you know, going with, just going without. You can go cold turkey. Or you can swap it for monk fruit. Monk fruit is a, a better, more natural alternative. Don't use any of the um, chemical sweeteners like Splenda or Aspartame. Those are actually worse for us than sugar. They raise our risk of stroke, heart attack, and increase our cravings for sugar. Um, the monk fruit brand that I like to use is La Quinto. So... Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, I definitely recommend going back. If you haven't listened to episode one, listen to that episode. There's a lot of good um, tips in there for taking action, um, including my rule of three for eating for blood sugar stability, walking after meals, um, getting a half a teaspoon of cinnamon a day. Those are all things that can really help with towards um, helping you with blood sugar cravings. Um, and as I mentioned, I'm going to have some more episodes coming up on this with a lot more tools. Um, I've, I've included several tools for you in the show notes below. I've put my food mood sugar tracking journal, and this helps you to really get a feel for how much are you actually getting. And maybe it's not a problem for you. Maybe you track your, your, your food intake for a week and you realize, oh, hey, I'm getting less than six added teaspoons a day. I'm, I'm right where I need to be. Um, another thing you can do is, uh, again, go get your, your blood test done and see where your fasting insulin, your fasting glucose, your insulin, your A1C, which is like the average of three months of your sugar intake. That's going to be a little bit more accurate than like a fasting insulin or a fasting glucose. The insulin is a better number than the fasting glucose. <clears throat> Talk to your doctor about it. Um, you know, if you are borderline with your blood sugar, the other thing I really recommend, or even if you're not, is wearing a continuous glucose monitor. That is going to tell you how your body is reacting to sugar and carbohydrates. You're going to see how your body is, um, how your blood sugar is. If it is it spiking and crashing all day long? Is it fairly stable? Are you getting super high? Um, spikes from certain foods, then you can really know um, what foods are negatively affecting you and which ones are helping you. In the Also in the show notes, I've got a document that helps you to really kind of come up with the positives and negatives of sugar in your life. It's an exercise that helps people see what can be gained from reframing your relationship with sugar. <clears throat> and it's interesting, most people end up with more negatives than positives, really. And then I also inclu um, included my breakup with sugar letter. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek letter I wrote. This is something I included in my breakup with sugar program. And I encourage you to write yours. It's kind of it's kind of a fun exercise because it it allows us to really think about our relationship with sugar. What are the good things we've gotten from sugar, and what would it mean to our health and our life if we could have a better relationship with it? And then below, I've got a link if you want to uh, get on my interest list for my Breakup with Sugar ebook that's coming soon. Um, go ahead and give me your email, uh, and I'll let you know when it's ready. 
So I'm going to close today's episode with a quote from the book, The Alchemist. I don't live in my past or my future. I'm only as interested in the present. If you can concentrate always on the present, you'll be happy. So thank you for tuning in. Just take it one day at a time and hit that subscribe button because I've got some super exciting stuff coming up.